Welcome back, friends, to Hope is a Prayer Away. I am your host, Pastor JJ. And before we descend on our Bible study, I would like to remind you that all of my Bible studies are free for you to download and copy, and that all of my Bible studies come with no strings attached. There's no registration, there's no email required, no subscription fees, or thumbs up or like buttons. And you will never pay a penny for any of our Bible studies. Also, we will never ask for donations, nor do we accept any donations, so that we can always give you the truth, as the Lord tells us in the Epistle of Jude, which is my favorite book in the Bible. It's really an epistle because it's only one page. And we don't want to be beholding to anyone but Christ Jesus. Amen? I would ask you, if you can, please, would you pray for this podcast and the website that we can win many souls for Christ Jesus. If you can do that for me, I sincerely thank you for your time and for praying for this podcast and the website. Thank you. And my only goal when I created this podcast and the website is to connect you with Christ Jesus. And if uh, if you want to see our website to find all of the complete Bible studies, including today's Bible study, you may do so at www.hopeisaprayeraway.com. Now let's get into the Word of God. And in today's Bible study, we are going to be studying what are the qualifications of a bishop. So we're going to be doing an etymology of the title bishop. So we find that it comes from the Greek word episkopos. And it means a bishop, an elder. And it's found in Acts 20, 17 and also verse 28. So the Greek word episcopasi is where we get our English word for bishop. And there are still several English translations that use bishop instead of overseer, but they're interchangeable. A bishop and an overseer are the same thing. So the word indicates one who has, one who has been given authority or responsibility to govern or oversee a group, an estate, or a situation. And a careful study of the New Testament will reveal that this word is used interchangeably with another Greek word, presbyter. Now, who was the first bishop that the Bible records? So, if we were to turn our Bibles, please, and in Acts 11.30 and Acts 15.22, we will see a collegiate system of government had developed in Jerusalem, and it was chaired by James the Just. And according to tradition, he was the first bishop of the city of Jerusalem. And let's turn our Bibles now, please, to Acts 11.30. And verse 30 says, This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And in Acts 15, 22, 
It says the title of, of the passage is the council's letter to Gentile believers. So they sent a letter. All the apostles got together and they're sending a, a letter to the Gentiles. Verse 22. Then the apostles and the elders or the bishops with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And if you haven't read uh, the Bible study on Barnabas, I encourage you to do so. Uh, he is one of my favorite um, biblical uh, persons in the Bible. And if you read it, you'll understand. So they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. So we also find that bishop is often translated as an elder. In fact, when we look at Paul's letter to Titus in 1.5, we notice that a very similar list of character traits and qualifications for the elder is given. So what are we to make of this? We should understand that the elder and the overseer are one and the same. And let's look at some scriptures. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. So everybody has a different role in the, in, in the body of Christ. Amen. And in 1 Timothy 4, 2, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So they were trying to lie about the scriptures. And, and, and this is where we start getting into developing our pastors, our teachers, our evangelists. Remember, this is early in the church. And 1 Peter 5.3 says, Nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So a bishop has to be, not only, not only does he have to care for the flock, he has to be an example. He has to address the hypocrisies of the liars. And he has to look after the teaching and the evangelists. So he's got some things to do, right? And in James 5.14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we all know that when we anoint someone in oil is because we're invoking the Holy Spirit. So that's another thing that bishops are supposed to do, along with the elders of the church. And in Acts 6, 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles are saying, we're going to have deacons, we're going to have pastors, we're going to have evangelists, we're going to create bishops to oversee and help us with the word of God, because we're just going to, Devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And in Mark 16 and verse 15, And he said to them, he being Jesus, Go into all the world and preach the gospel 
to all creation, to everyone. And 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, let's explain. So the letter meant the, the law of Moses, okay? But the Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit, after Jesus sacrificed himself, what does he do? He gives us life. So that's what it means. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive the mercy, we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And where did God reconcile us to himself? On the cross. Acts 20.28 in the book of Acts are the Acts of the Apostles. So as you're reading it, you're reading all of the Acts that the Apostles uh, uh, did and performed. That's recorded in the book of Acts. And it says, verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for your flock, and for all of, your, all of the flock, I'm sorry, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishops, elders, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And you know, when I look around today and I see some false prophets and teachers, and they're flying private jets and, and, and preaching and teaching phony baloney, I, I always remind me, it reminds me of the book of Jude and of this and of this verse. Because, you know, he purchased the church with his own blood. And that's why, friends, you will never, ever have to pay a penny for any of the Bible studies here. Because I want to live true to his word. I want to give you truth without any attachments. So that you know that I am teaching you the gospel, the good news of Christ. And in 1 Peter 5.2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, with eagerness to save souls, to preach and teach Jesus. You know, um, it's such a blessing when I see my students growing in Christ and I just see them just flourishing. You can never imagine. There's nothing better than that, friends. And you're going to get there. Hang around and you're going to win so many souls for Christ. Now, so we find that in the Old English, besip, 
means bishop, high priest, Jewish or pagan, and from the late Latin episcopos, and from the Greek episcopos, pretty close. And it means a watcher, spiritual, overseer, a title for various government officials. Later taken over in a church sense from epi, which means over in the Greek, and skopos, one that watches, one that looks after, a guardian, a protector. So when you put them together, it's an overseer, one who's supposed to be watching the flock, that looks after him, a guardian, a protector from the false prophets and the false teachers. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what we're supposed to be doing today. Amen? And given a specific sense in the church, but the word has but the word also was used in the New Testament as a descriptive title for elders and continues as such in some non-hierarchical Christian sects. Late Latin episcopos in Spanish became obispo, in Italian vescovo, and in Welsh escob. The, the Germanic form include Old Saxon biskop, Old High German biskof. Further afield, it became Lithuanian viscopas, Albanian eusebic, and Finnish Bispa. Once pun on it was bite sheep in the 1550s, also German Bischof. The chess piece, formerly Archer, before that Alphine, was also called from the 1560s. Bishop. In some Christian churches, the chief pastor and overseer of a diocese an area containing several congregations. The Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches and other churches have maintained the view that the bishops are the successors of the apostles and that an unbroken line of succession connects the apostles to all legitimate bishops, a doctrine known as apostolic succession. And until February 11, 1989, when Barbara Harris was ordained as a bishop in the Episcopal Church in the United States of America, the Apostolic Succession churches had reserved the office only for men. Although the New Testament mentions the office of bishop, its origins are really obscure. Are obscure. And it seems that the Episcopy or the threefold ministry of bishops, priests, and deacons, as well as established in the Christian church by the second century. From the Roman Empire's recognition of Christianity in the fourth century until the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the bishop was chief pastor, priest, administrator, and ruler of his diocesan Christian community. He was the chief liturgical minister. He baptized, celebrated the Eucharist, ordained, absolved, 
controlled church finances, and settled matters of dispute. So St. Augustine comes into the picture, and in the course of the Reformation, or Reformation, some of the new Protestant churches repudiated the office of the bishop, and partly because they believed that the office to have acquired such broad temporal and civil powers during the Middle Ages as to endanger its spiritual purity, and partly because they saw no basis for the institution in the New Testament. Thus, of the post-Reformation Christian communions, only the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, Old Catholics, Angelicans, and a few others have maintained both the bishop's office and the belief that bishops have continued the apostolic succession. Now, some Lutheran churches in the United States, Scandinavia, and Germany had bishops, but except for those in Sweden, they have not maintained the doctrine of apostolic succession. Most other Protestant churches do not have bishops. In the United Methodist Church in the United States, bishops function as superintendents of several congregations and have the power to ordain ministers. Yet in other Protestant churches, bishops have various functions. We find also that popes, cardinals, archbishops, patriarchs, and metropolitans are a different graduate gradations of bishops. A bishop is often assisted in the administration of his diocese by other less bishops, who, be, who may be known as suffragans, assistants, auxiliaries, or cogitors, bishops. Bishops alone have the right to confirm and ordain members of the clergy and their main duty is to, is to supervise the clergy within their diocese, between their area, their region. And in the Roman Catholic Church, the bishop is selected by the Pope and receives confirmation in his office at the hands of an archbishop and two other bishops. Now, in the, in the Angelican and other churches, a bishop is chosen by the dean and the chapter of the cathedral of the diocese. In the Methodist churches, the bishop is chosen by jurisdictional conferences. And among the insignia tradition, traditional to a bishop are the mitri, the pastoral staff, the pectoral cross, a ring, and a collage, example of stockings and sandals. Now, what is a catechism? A catechism is a manual of religious instructions usually arranged in the form of questions and answers used to instruct the young to win converts and to testify to the faith. Although many religions give instructions in the faith by means of oral questions and answers, the written catechism is primarily a product of Christianity. Some early handbooks of instructions were prepared 
by our church fathers, including Augustine of Hippo, John Chrysostom, of, and Cyril of Jerusalem, and many were prepared throughout medieval times. The term catechism, however, was evidently first used for written handbooks in the 16th century. After the invention of printing and the 16th century Reformation, catechisms became much more important, both in Protestantism and in Roman Catholicism. These catechisms were influenced by medieval catechisms, which had imitated the works of the Church Fathers. The medieval catechisms concentrated upon the meaning of faith, the Apostles' Creed, hope, the Lord's Prayer, and charity, the Ten Commandments. The later catechisms usually included discussions of these three subjects and added others. Perhaps the most influential book produced by any reformer was Martin Luther's Small Catechism of 1529, which added discussions of baptism and the Eucharist to the usual three subjects. Luther's large catechism of 1529 was intended for use by the clergy. Also, we find that John Calvin published a catechism in 1537 that was intended to instruct children, but it proved to be too difficult, so he prepared an easier, an easier version in 1542. We also find that the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563 of Caspar Olivianus and Zacharias Ursinus revised the Synod of Dort in 1619 and became the most widely used catechism in the Reformed churches. The standard Presbyterian catechisms have been the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechisms completed by the Westminster Assembly in 1647. The Angelican Catechism is included in the Book of Common Prayer, and the first part of was probably prepared by Thomas Cranmer and Nicholas Ridley in 1549, and it was modified several times before 1661. A second part discussing the meaning of the two sacraments was prepared in 1604 in response to a suggestion of the Puritan faction of the Hampton Court Conference. Now, the most famous Roman Catholic catechism was won by Peter Canisius, a Jesuit priest, first published in 1555, which went through 400 editions in 150 years. One that had a large circulation and a greatly influenced later was the works of Robert Bellamine, in 1597. And in France, those of Edmund Auger in 1563 and Jackie's Benin Bousset in 1687 were outstanding. 
In more recent times, well-known Roman Catholic catechisms have included the Baltimore Catechism of 1885 in the United States, a Catechism of Christian Doctrine, Penny Catechism in England in 1898, and that of Joseph de Harby in 1847 in Germany. Now, in 1992, the Vatican issued a new universal catechism of the Catholic Church that summarized the Church doctrinal positions and teachings since the Second Vatican Council of 1962 through 1965. The new catechism abandoned the question and answer form and used modern language in its prescriptions on faith, the sacraments, sin, and prayer. In reaction to the work of the Jesuits and the Reformed Church, among the other Orthodox, Peter Mogalia comprised the Orthodox Confession of Faith, and it was approved at the Provincial Synod in 1640 and standardized by the symbol of Jerusalem in 1672 by order of, Russia, of the Russian Tsar Peter I the Great. A smaller Orthodox catechism was also prepared in 1723. And friends, these are all little books that were made to lead you to Christ. Remember that back then they didn't have radios, they didn't have TVs, and it was all word of mouth or books. And that's the question, my friends. The question is, do you know Christ? Would you like to have Christ into your life? Have you ever been told that God doesn't love you because of this or because of that or because you have a certain lifestyle? Have you ever been turned off by a church because they didn't treat you fairly? Or maybe you were told that you didn't belong. Friends, you belong. For the church belongs to Jesus. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. It's his church. And if you've ever been told by anyone that you are going to hell because of this or because of that, I got good news. I don't know of any human being, of any pastor, that can send you anywhere. They can't even send themselves anywhere. I can't send myself to heaven. I can't send myself to hell. No, only Jesus. Amen? And I want you to picture this in your mind, please. Just think about you extending your hand out to greet someone and that person that you want to greet just walks on by and leaves you hanging with your hand in the air. And now I want you to picture Jesus extending his hand out to you for days, months, and years and you just walk by. And left him hanging. But that's okay. He doesn't hold grudge.
just he wants to come into your life he wants to bring you peace and love and forgiveness of all of your sins do you know that the bible says that once you accept him that he cares not to remember any of your sins isn't that awesome and it doesn't matter what sin you have committed for we're all sinners if you truly repent from your heart he will forgive you and I'm going to tell you it doesn't matter where you are as you hear this broadcast where you are in life he wants to be a part of you you don't have to change you don't have to change your colors of the of your clothing and put wherever you are friends if you open your heart to him and if you will hold his hand he will hold yours amen and i'm going to lead you in a prayer and if you would like to accept jesus today then follow along if you would please heavenly father we come before i come before your throne I ask you for forgiveness of all of my sins. I want to take your hand, Lord. Please come into my life. Please make me new. Please, Father, walk with me. Talk to me. Guide me. Help me, Lord. You know the situation that I am. Please, Lord, help me. Don't let go of my hand, Lord. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your sacrifice on Calvary. Thank you, Jesus. And from this day forward, I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer with me, I believe you're born again. I encourage you to find a good Bible preaching and teaching church. Buy yourself a Bible that you can understand. You don't need to buy 40 books. No, just get yourself a Bible that you can understand. Go to your Sunday school Bible class. Go to your weekly Bible studies. Go to church on Sundays and take good notes. And trust me, ask the Lord to open your understanding. Ask the Lord to teach you what it means in those passages. And you're going to win so many souls for God. And we always turn a bad thing into a good thing. Jesus was crucified, but look at all the lives that he saved. So if you were turned off or turned away by a church or told by an erroneous teaching that you were going here, you were going there, friends, this is your opportunity to turn a bad situation into a good situation. Educate yourself with the word of God. And you're going to win so many souls because guess what? There's so many people like you out there that are hurting and they think that God doesn't love them. 
And that is the farthest thing from the truth. For he had your name in mind, all of our names, when he walked to the cross to give us forgiveness. Friends, I always close out all of my podcasts in honor of a late pastor by the name of John H. Osteen. Pastor Osteen has the very best phrase I've ever heard from anybody. And he would close out all of his uh, TV sermons with the following phrase. And he would say, keep Jesus first place in your life and he will take you places that you've never dreamed of. Amen. Friends, thank you for your time and the privilege of being able to share Christ with you. And I will look forward to talking with you tomorrow on our podcast. May his blessings always be upon you and yours today and always in Jesus' name. Thank you.